it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get ready to go uh, today with the first lady who will be hosting a youth soccer clinic on the White House lawn. Hopefully, it's mowed. Uh, I haven't really seen the lawn in quite some time. Actually, the last time they were there, I think they were celebrating. Um, Pride Month. That didn't go well. Uh, meanwhile, Senator Joe Manchin and Governor John Huntsman will participate in a no-labels, common-sense town hall. Look out. If you're worried about a third party, if you thought that uh, Ralph Nader was problematic for Democrats, this is a huge problem. We'll see what develops. Let's Before we get to our great guest, uh, Kimberly Strassel in studio from the Wall Street Journal, author of a brand-new book, the, uh, the Biden Malaise, Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Because you have almost a perfect storm here. You had COVID sent people home to watch uh, streaming and television and killed theaters. You've had the results of huge investments in streaming, which have produced all these losses for all these companies who are now kind of retrenching. Hollywood on strike. Now, if launching the woke movement didn't teach them anything and the pandemic pause didn't scare them, if the actor strike is not settled quickly, this could kill the $6 billion industry. We talk about the issues and the stakes. Number two. I had a good relationship, very good with both of them. I would tell Zelensky, no more. You got to make a deal. I would tell Putin, if you don't make a deal, we're going to give them a lot. We're going to give them more than they ever got if we have to. I will have the deal done in one day. Bridge of blows in Crimea. Russia firing generals while their rubble, uh, what with while their rub, uh, the ruble, and the economy tumbles. This time, uh, this t- is no time for Ukraine to buckle. But it looks like some on the right are starting to lose some faith in Joe Biden's execution of this war. Could it upend Ukraine's momentum? We'll talk about it. Number one. There was a little bit of a shake bug in the campaign. Anytime that happens, which means they're letting go of up to 10 people in a single campaign, there's a little bit of a freak out. People are wondering what's going on. DeSantis's poll numbers have really not gone up nationally or locally. Reset, reorganize, no panic. That's the message from the DeSantis camp as they look for the momentum they have not had since Election Day, with Iowa six months away. Meanwhile, Trump talks about a running mate, legal cases, and Joe. We look at the 2024 GOP debate. It's now just about a month away. And let's talk about that with Kimberly Strassel. Kimberly, great to see you. It is great to be here, Brian. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you. what prompted the idea of doing this. So this is a fun book. It, it's making the comparison between the the Joe Biden administration and the Carter administration. And, you know, what? that's what prompted it, because at least from the outside, it just seems that there's so many, you know, parallels, whether it's inflation, whether it's disastrous foreign policy, gas prices. A lot of people don't know this. Both of these presidents, the only two modern presidents that had an uh, unchecked flood at the border. Carter, it was the Mariel boat lift. And now we have the Biden unchecked border crossings as well, too. But this was the fun part is that 
I'm making the case in the book that that is utterly unfair to Jimmy Carter (laughs) (laughs) because, one, he inherited a lot of the problems that he had. I mean, we were already in the middle of the great inflation in the 1970s. There had already been an oil strike. Now, he made everything much worse, but – Joe Biden, that wasn't the case. We were just rounding the corner on COVID. All he had to do was sit back and let the economy roar back into action. and We wouldn't have the problems we and had. The border, we, had, we have a wall we paid for still laying in the desert. That's right. We had policies that were working down there, uh, in, including remain in Mexico, et cetera. He dismantled all of those. But the other reason is that he had all of the lessons of Jimmy Carter's time to learn what not to do. I mean, he was actually in the Senate when Jimmy Carter was president. And so and he also had the lessons of Reagan and they ignored all of it, dismantled all of it. Jimmy Carter didn't have all that. um, You know, he didn't necessarily have the Milton Friedman's of the world yet um, to kind of point him in a different direction from some of the mistakes he made. Joe Biden did. And he ignored all the things we know. Where do you think he is? um, You know, a lot of people thought Jimmy Carter was still going to get reelected, even though Ted Kennedy made a huge challenge at him. Do you think we'll have the parallels will happen again. Do you think we have RFK, not Teddy, uh, who's got 20 percent of the vote? Do you think there's going to be some other uh, active go- uh, active governors doing this? It is astonishing to me that no one has challenged Joe Biden. It's crazy. I mean, he has some of the weakest polling ever. Um, you know, and, and obviously we had Kennedy, a Kennedy do that back in, in 1979 as well, too. It didn't work out in that case. But Jimmy Carter was more popular than Joe Biden is now, even with all of his problems. Um, so this is a big part of the book as well, reminding everybody what came after Jimmy Carter. There was a huge backlash to his presidency and the Republicans were smart enough to a, a nominate a guy who really knew how to capitalize that. And Ronald Reagan didn't just change one election. He changed a generation of voters. Right. Uh, and he came uh, he came up. He almost got the nomination from a sitting president, Gerald Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he kept his powder dry to run again in 1980. But we're already looking on the right, something we've never seen before since Grover Cleveland. And we were I wasn't getting the Wall Street Journal back then. I have no idea <laughs> how you felt about it. Uh, but let's talk about Ron DeSantis, if we can. And yep. we'll go back to the book because we're going to be you're going to be here an hour. Yeah, and absolutely. Let, yeah. Um, so that'd be great. So. For Ron DeSantis, is a little bit of panic. He's made almost no progress, a solid second, but losing a couple of points here and there. I don't necessarily think that he's done poorly, but in terms of his organization, he's thinning out, farming out, and he feels like he's spending too much. Yeah, I think that they hired too many people. That seems to be a big question. They also seem to be spread out a little too thin across too many states. And you've been hearing this in some of the stories that he is attempting to now refocus on Iowa, because obviously, as we both know, that is going to be crucial. Mm -hmm. Um, He's going to have to have an enormous showing there to then get some momentum and go on. But look, you know, I think, Brian, one of DeSantis's bigger problems is I don't think he's defining himself well enough. I think he's chasing Trump voters in some ways, Um, and I'm not quite sure that's exactly the way to go about it. Um, A lot of Trump voters are very dedicated to the president, and it's going to be very hard to peel them off. But, you know, there's probably about 70 percent of the party that don't fall into that category. You think so? I think so. You think 70 percent of the Republican Party is not in Trump's camp yet? I I totally believe that. I think that he has about the same base of support that he did last time, maybe a little bit bigger. And if you look at the primaries last time, he always came in around 32, 35 percent. Um, sometimes 40. It might be 40 now. But that's still a lot of the party that's unconvinced. Here's what Ron DeSantis said about this, why Trump continues to lead. Cut 12. 
Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, um, the, the Bragg indictment just elevated uh, him. And it wasn't so much that uh, people were doing it because he was indicted. I think a lot of people, including me, believe that it was a miscarriage of justice. Alvin Bragg ran for office saying he was going to indict Trump. That is not the way the rule of law works. You don't mm -hmm. say, find me the man and I'll find you the crime. So I think there was a lot of sympathy. You thought, and then the next one came, and then there could be two more coming. Well, DeSantis is right. I, I do believe that that has been a big help for President Trump. And the Even thing the documents, too? Yeah, I, yeah, because, you know, look, a lot of people rightly look at this, and they feel that there's two standards of justice at the moment, and that the natural reaction to that is you support the guy who's being unfairly targeted. Um, so that probably really is helping Donald Trump. Also, the other thing is, is, I think we need to think of it this way. He is essentially the incumbent president, right? So he starts from that level. Uh, it's sort of like Joe Biden. Um, you know, mm -hmm. he, he might have lost last time, but we haven't had this situation in quite some time where we have a former president who lost and now is actively running for his party's nomination again. So, yeah, we haven't seen that. So he went on to say, what, what, what about the polling? Uh, here's what he said. Cut 13. I had gotten a lot of coverage in the aftermath of the midterm election. We always knew with these national polls that that was a sugar high. Wasn't anything we were too concerned about either way. Uh, but the, what we found is the more I'm out there, uh, the more the more support we get in these early states. And it is a state by state primary. And so I think it would be political malpractice to be running for president fixated on on national rather than Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. So that's what we've done. You can make up ground and we are making up ground in all those states, that is not really going to be reflected in the national poll because they're such small states that um, you're not going to end up doing that. What do you about his school of thought? You know, we have had, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, a Marquette poll that came out, Wisconsin, showing them absolutely tied in the state. So I do, I think that goes to my point that there's still a lot of people that are unsure about Donald Trump, um, and it depends state by state. But if he's going to try to spread that money out across all of these states, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, I mean, it's going to be hard for him to make up ground in each place. He's going to, I think he's going to have to focus. Does he have, who, have you picked a candidate? I don't pick candidates. <laughs> You're not going to – well, do you have a projection? Um, it really depends on whether or not we get up close to Iowa and a number of other people take a look at their own polls and, and decide to drop out. Um, look, if, if we're going to have a field the size that we had in 2016, Donald Trump has it sewn up. Absolutely. Because it'll just be him and that base of support and then everybody else will split it. Now, I think that if uh, – if, in fact, some people that are lower polling do drop out, I think you could have a DeSantis-Trump race. Um, or I still think that there's a chance for some other people to break out. Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, Tim Scott, they're getting some notice, too. Uh, and, and especially if people feel as though DeSantis isn't going to be the horse that carries this, I still think there's room for some real movement. I think one of the things that people don't give enough credit for for Trump's surge is Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Instead of Joe Biden being the candidate, people have watched him do the exact opposite of President Trump. And they're saying, well, we tried. Well, maybe that was a little bit better than we thought. Well, maybe foreign policy wasn't that far off. You know, maybe building the wall did make a lot of sense. Why are you building a wall between Finland and Russia, but you can't build one between the U.S. and Mexico? Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. So you might not like all of a sudden people are kind of waking up out of a hangover and saying, 
well, some of the stuff really wasn't that crazy, and the economy was friendlier, especially as small business people. Do you talk to small business people? They oh, really yeah. feel like they're under attack. Oh, absolutely, especially with regulations. Yeah. I mean, every single federal agency is now in their backyard going after them. Taxes, uh, I mean, and, and just the general look, if you are a small business – if you're a big business, you can maybe make your way through high inflation. You can you've got reserves, right? You can close some stores here or there. If you're a small business, you got what you got and you're facing prices that are, you know, in specific industries 20% higher than they were a couple of years ago. You can't get anyone to come work for you by the way because we paid people for so long not to work. So it, it's terrible for them and I think you're right. It's like that old Ronald Reagan line which was so effective. Are you better off now than you were 4 years ago? And right. a lot of people are looking and saying, wait a minute, I felt a lot better when Donald Trump policies were in place. But we didn't have the four years between when Reagan said it. Mm-hmm. And and now we have we have four years before he said it. And you look at Joe Biden and you see him withering before your eyes and you see Trump and whatever you think of him. There's not much of a difference, really. I mean, I can't tell any difference. Yeah. No, I mean, look, and people do remember that. Our economy before COVID was really doing well, and yeah. it was poised to do even better. You know, we had some of the historic unemployment rates in key groups that were out there. Wages were rising. The trade deals fast, were pay, playing a role. Starting to really take effect. Um, and, and this has been a complete reversal and entirely government engineered. I think that's a really important thing. The Biden administration administration can spend all the time pointing its finger at Russia, uh, you know, and these supposed Putin's inflation. Come on. No, this was a decision to spend money. I forgot about that. You remember that? Putin's inflation? We spent way too much money in Washington. They were warned not to do it. Uh, We've got a Fed chief that for way too long kept money way too easy. Uh, And then we've got regulators that are just, you know, hammering the business sector. So you've got the demand side out of back and the supply side out of whack. And this is classic. Uh, the name of the book is The Biden Malaise. Kimberly Strassel wrote it, you know, with The Wall Street Journal. It's going to be here for an hour. Uh, so we're going to come back, take a break and come back with more uh, on 2024 and the war in Ukraine. I don't know if you guys have heard yet, but we woke up to the news that through a drone attack has blown up the Crimea Bridge. That uh, the Russians took so much pride in announcing after they just stole it from the Ukrainians, uh, after Khrushchev gave it to them, and the train rolls with military equipment. That's bad, but the good news is the bridge is blown up. Uh, we'll talk about that in the war and so much more. Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. No, I mean, we've made very clear that we're not in this uh, to be spoilers. We're in this to give uh, the majority of the American people who feel that the major two parties are failing them a third choice, both in policies such as we're going to release in New Hampshire tomorrow, but also possibly in a third candidate, and and we've been very explicit, and uh, just watch us.
So uh, that, of course, is Joe Lieberman, one of the founding chairmen of No Labels, which is supposed to be a bipartisan group that might be rolling out presidential candidates, a presidential ticket, as Joe Manchin and Governor John Huntsman are going to be in New Hampshire today announcing their party, the leaders, and what their approach is. Kimberly Strassel in studio. Her book, The Biden Malaise, is now out. So you can go grab it. You know Kimberly from Fox News and also Wall Street Journal. Kimberly, your reaction to this No Labels movement? You know, I'm kind of person, Brian, I think competition is great. The more, the merrier. Everybody gets in. That's a classic aspect of the American system. And it's interesting to me, Democrats are completely freaking out about this, uh, kind of operating on the assumption that if there were a ticket, it would automatically hurt Joe Biden. I don't know if we know that. It would really matter on who got the, the top of the ticket in the end and who was the running mate and how attractive they are. Now, My overall view is that we very much have a system, electoral system, that is really only geared for two parties. Um, And we've never really had a successful third party bid in the past. Closest we got, you know, maybe in modern history, Ross Perot. Uh, and that was a little bit of a different situation. But, um, you know, bring it on. If, and if there really is that much dissatisfaction, let the chips fall where they may. So Governor Huntsman did not have a lot of success when he ran for president. He was mm-hmm. out single digits. And Joe Manchin has got his hands full trying to keep that Senate seat. He's losing by double digits to Jim Justice. So he might be saying, hey, you know what? I could either retire or give this a shot. What do you think? Well, and wouldn't that just be justice <laughs> in that the Democratic Party has been so mean to Joe Manchin over the years? Think of the pummeling he got when he rightly said, look, people, I just cannot sign up for that level of spending. Uh, people were showing up at his houseboat, you know, protests, oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Um, you know, he got jumping on his car. Yeah, snubbed. By the way, too, he finally did agree to go along with this Inflation Reduction Act. And what he asked in return was uh, a permitting reform bill. They didn't give it to him. Um, they ended up then coming up with some provisions in a, in a bipartisan bill. I still don't that get that. It. It, but he blew that. Yeah, I mean, he did. He should have. He should have demanded it before he yeah. ever gave his vote. Um, but, you know, so now he's looking back home and he says, well, the route there doesn't look so good. Maybe it would be just as much fun to run for the presidency. Now, I just don't believe that Joe Lieberman could possibly say, I will only do it. If we're going to be a spoiler, I won't do it. You know, I mean, no one's going to know what's going to happen. Are you get in the middle of it, you're just going to pull out? Yeah. How are you going to do that? And I believe, too, once you get organizations like this, they're talking about spending tens of billions of dollars getting uh, a no-labels spot in each state. And I think that once you have organizations that are putting that much effort to it, it becomes very difficult to then stop that momentum. And breaking to your book, 70% of the American public do not want Joe Biden to run again. 60% say they don't want Trump. That's why this might be the moment for them to establish themselves. Totally possible. But I think it's why it's also a moment within the parties for some people to, to change. The name forces. of the book is The Biden Malaise. More with Kimberly Strassel in just a moment. And then, uh, and then of course, keep in mind, you can get our show as a podcast, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The American people fully understand that there is a two-tier justice system that has been weaponized to persecute people based on their political beliefs. 
and that you have personally been weapon that you have personally worked to weaponize the FBI against conservatives. Director Ray, what are you prepared to do to reform federal law enforcement in a manner which earns back the trust of the American people? Well, first off, I would disagree with your characterization of the FBI and certainly your description of my own approach. Uh, the idea that I'm biased against conservatives uh, seems somewhat insane to me, uh, given my own personal background. It doesn't seem insane to me, uh, being that I saw the Twitter files. Uh, Christopher Ray uh, last week, Congresswoman uh, Hagerman, uh, Hagerman uh, last week, too, from uh, Wyoming, and with me, who actually took the place of uh, Liz Cheney, with me in studio, uh, author of the brand-new book, uh, Kimberly Strassel, the Biden malaise. Uh, Kimberly, you wrote a column about what your, your takeaway was from Christopher Ray. He was playing to me, to his agents. He wasn't helping the American people. Well, to me, he just wanted to be uh, more respected within those walls of the FBI. Yeah, but here's the problem, Brian, is that he's actually disrespecting them. And that's the view within the FBI. If you talk to agents, he began his testimony by essentially chiding Republicans, saying, you know, we've got 38,000 people who put their selves on the line every day and you ought to have more respect for them. OK, well, where's the lack of respect? The, the problems that we have all seen at the FBI in the last four or five years have all happened at the top of the FBI. OK, it was their decision to centralize the Russia collusion investigation, not leave it out in the field office, to hold it up and be making decisions on the headquarter floors that meant that there were no checks over what they were doing. And that's how they got sideways with the FISA court. Their decision to not allow the Miami field office to handle this Mar-a-Lago uh, document question. They brought it back. Could we be had jeopardizing the case. Yeah, we brought a guy. They had a guy come in who used to run the Washington field office and said that he kept blowing the whistle on this, saying, look, if we learned anything from Russia collusion, you do not run these investigations out of headquarters. That's when things go wrong because it's politicized. You know, um, you look at the, the Twitter files you mentioned. Uh, here's what we found out by reading all of that, which is that it wasn't a bunch of, you know, rank and file member or FBI agents out there that were making the calls on this. It was senior people who were having these meetings with these social media companies, including this woman who runs this secretive task force called the Foreign Influence Task Force. And she was the one telling them to censor things. Americans. Yes. Uh, and he said, I only do foreigners. As they, and they, these Baloney. were clearly Americans. Yeah. And you have former FBI agents working at Twitter, taking calls from current FBI <laughs> agents. We didn't tell them what to do. We just tell them we'd like this to be handled. And they paid him $30 million or something of our money, yep. by the way, to do it. So you can't say, well, that was then. This is now. No, that was then. And this is now. Right. And the other thing would be the most egregious is they knew the Hunter Biden laptop 2019. Yeah. Uh, they knew it was real. And it, he was hired in 2017. So he knew this was happening. Did they tell the attorney general? Did they tell the former president that when he was president then? No. Did they let this thing get out of control? Did they, did they suspend all these accounts? Absolutely. Right. And yet he sits there and wonders why he's being questioned and, and distrusted. On the eve of the election, the 2020 election, social media companies reached out to this woman I mentioned who headed up the Foreign Influence Task uh, task. Uh, course and actually asked her is the hunter laptop information real and she said no comment they'd had that laptop for a year and so they let people believe that it was disinformation uh and it's really kind of crazy i do uh, well, the other thing i want to talk about is uh this war we know this crimea bridge uh, was blown up by uh, the ukrainian 
drone strikes. They don't have F-15s and F-16s. But we do know that they didn't get the train, which all this stuff, but the, but the message was sent 3 in the morning. They're looking not to get casualties. We're taking Crimea back. We're coming. We see about 15 generals get removed, and some of them speak out after they're removed. Mm-hmm. We see Wagner appear, about 60 at least, uh, in Belarus. What are they doing? What, what is, it's like if the Navy SEALs just left <laughs> and went to Canada for a while. How would you feel <laughs> if they had tried to take the country and then decided against it at the last minute? So what's going on here, Kimberly? Well, I think Russia's starting to come a, a, a part of the seams. Um, and, you know, they do a good job because they run all the state media and they project this air of confidence. But between uh, Prigozhin rising up, um, you now see the Ukrainian counteroffensive really making some big strides. Um, you see problems with their generals. We know for a long time that they've had a morale problem, that they're essentially... They don't know why they're in this war. Th- th- no. They know it's a joke. Yes, but especially because they're being fed a pack of lies. And they've got away with it so much because they have a lot of cannon fodder. You know, they go and they, they empty the prisons and they bring convicts, but that does not necessarily make for a good fighting team. And, you know, hopefully what we have here is that Biden speeds up some of these promises to get vital equipment because this is the time to do it. If we move back into the winter again, it's going to become both sides are going to get dug in. A couple of things. He can't keep saying we're going to stay as long as it takes because Ukraine is getting destroyed by these rockets and these drones that Iran is supplying. And yet we punish Iran by having talks with them about their nuclear program. So they're not even getting any message. So listen to Jake Sullivan's doing a Barack Obama, who was brilliant Mm -hmm. at this, always blaming the previous administration. Listen to Jake Sullivan yesterday. Are you guys out of ammo? Cut 23. When we came into office, uh, we found that the overall stocks of 155 ammunition, which is the NATO standard ammunition you use for artillery rounds, uh, was relatively low. But more importantly, Jake, we discovered that the ability to mass produce that ammunition would take not days or weeks or months, but years to get to the level that we needed. So the President Biden ordered his Pentagon to work rapidly to scale up the ability of the United States to produce all the ammunition we could ever need for any conflict. We have not any heard time. anything about that. We also have not heard why Taiwan is waiting two years to get their $33 million, billion dollars worth of military equipment they wrote checks for. You want to know why this is so disingenuous? Uh, if you really had an administration that if you're going to believe this notion that they came in and everything was a mess and they decided they were going to double down and fix it, where are Joe Biden's defense budgets reflecting that priority? Less. Yeah, he's put forward defense budgets that every year don't even match inflation. OK, we are now getting to a point where defense spending as a share of GDP is, is going to be as low as it had been uh, almost at any time in history. And we have a situation where we're not we don't have any competition among defense manufacturers in the 90s. They consolidated and they thought it was a good move. Obviously, smart people were wrong and it's not there's no competition and now you have to give these guys and they say, well, right now I can't go and start building out and then have another president come in and say, no, we're not doing that. So I need a commitment. I need a 10 year contract. So let's give it to them. You know, Republicans would sign off on this, Kimberly. Yeah, that's right. We need a, a way new system of commissioning a lot of this stuff and contracting for this stuff. And this is now becoming a big discussion in Congress. How do we do this? Because these guys are not, as you say, they're not going to put a lot of money into expanding their factories if they aren't sure that they're going to have that contract a year from now or two years from now. By the way, the other reason we want to do this is because it's more cost efficient for American taxpayers. Yeah. Because when you do those longer contracts, you work deals for the federal government. 
government. Um, but when we're doing it year to year and we're doing it in the context of nobody knowing what next year's defense budget is going to look like because there's no solid commitment from this White House, that becomes a real problem. The attack is going to go. Are you for that? Yes, they should have gone a long time ago. A lot of this stuff should have gone a long time ago. France says you can have hours. Now Now Biden's saying, well, maybe we'll send hours. Well, this is just the system over and over with Joe Biden. Is it, you know, he gets all this credit for standing strong on Ukraine and leading this international coalition. Here's my complaints. One, everything he promises to do, he has to be pushed into doing it. And then it comes months too late. And two, the guy still has not done a persuasive job of explaining to the American country why this war is in our interest, not Ukraine's interest, not Europe's interest. It's also in their interest, but in our interest as well, too. Because we have a couple of enemies in this world, predominant enemies, China and Russia. Russia has become the junior partner of China. I get that. But this is a proxy war with China. They are watching everything we're doing, seeing what we're capable of, and seeing what Russia can't do. They've lost 200,000 people. They've lost 50% of their military, maybe more. And what's our expenditure? Less than 5%? That's right. And, yeah, we have done more to, via Ukraine, degrade Russia's conventional military than we have managed in years and years. And And at a fraction of the price. That's right. And suddenly, this is a very weak adversary over in the far end of Europe. And as you said, that sends a message to China as well, too. In your book, Biden's Malays, do you cover foreign policy? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I make the case that Jimmy Carter's presidency really ended in the beginning of 1980 when he uh, tried the Iranian hostage rescue, and it was just a disaster. Um, uh, Joe Biden, if you look, and we all know this, uh, his poll numbers started to take a complete dive Terminal. Uh, a- after Afghanistan withdrawal, which, by the way, he was advised not to do by his top generals and everyone around. He did it anyway because he's very arrogant. These two guys are similar in this regard and that, you know, multilateralism, kind of projecting weakness in the world, not wanting to be a leader. Um, and uh, that has really d- diminished the country under both of them. Well, I would say, too, that the military doesn't respect him and the feelings mutual. And they know that. And they've, they've always known that. He'd be the one in the Obama meetings talking down the military. Don't believe your generals. Uh, this is not true. Getting in Obama's ear wasn't helpful. No, not at all. And and he's never been shy about that sentiment. He has some weird resentment, which I have, think has to do with his son's own service uh, in the military. But also when you talk to people, and there's a, a whole chapter on this in the book, um, he Joe Biden, he might come across as old grandpa. This is a guy who is very arrogant, and he really believes that he is the smartest guy in the room. And he doesn't like the idea that there's a general who might actually know how combat operations work out there. He's going to tell them how it's supposed to go. And that's led to a lot of our problems, like Afghanistan. Right. So, Kimberly, uh, stay right here. We're going to finish up the hour. We have to talk more about your book, uh, The Biden Malays, and how it leads to this reelection. Because unlike Jimmy Carter, we knew Jimmy Carter was running. But Joe Biden's got $72 million. All right. That's a pretty good number. Grassroots, not good. And he has about five full-time employees on his reelection. <laughs> How serious are you if you only have five people working on getting you four more years when your approval rating is about 38%? You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
We've got no answers. That's not surprising. The Secret Service is a troubled agency. It's long had challenges. Uh, it probably needs new leadership. I, I take this very seriously. I mean, what if this was anthrax? This is supposed to be the most secure building in the world. Yet the Secret Service closed down this investigation after just a few days. It's my understanding they barely conducted in any interviews. I don't think they interviewed the president's son, who's a known cocaine addict. This is like if Hamburglar lived in the White House and all the hamburgers disappeared, and they said they didn't have any suspects or no one they could question. They know who went through those doors so they can interview them as well. If the president were really serious about it, he could demand everybody that goes through, do through those doors submit to a drug test. You can use hair testing samples and identify anyone who's used cocaine in the last few months. Those are the steps you would take if you took this seriously. This just seems like another Biden cover-up. Uh, Kimberly Strassel here. Her book, uh, The Biden Malaise, is out. But I want you to comment on this bizarre situation where you have cocaine found in the White House in a cubby. Uh, the key is gone of that cubby, the door. But in it, we basically gave up after 10 days trying to find out whose it is. Kimberly, what do you think of uh, your thoughts about this? The Secret Service owes the nation so much more of an explanation than this. If you really are saying that you can't find it, explain exactly why. And, and what exactly is the missing security apparatus that you needed? What did you learn from this? Right? I mean, tell us. Because... That's insane. This is an area outside of, uh, you know, one of the more secure areas of the White House. Why aren't there cameras everywhere? Why don't you have a record of exactly who was using those cubbies? Uh, why is this? If you really can't find it, then explain to us why, what, what, what you did wrong and why mm. we can't. I have one thing I don't hear anybody ever say. Donald Trump's drunk or on drugs. He doesn't do it. No. It, nor mm -hmm. his family. Right. Do you, if this was happened during the Trump White House... CNN wouldn't have any other story to cover, including the war. <laughs> For weeks. And, and number two, and they would suspect Don Jr. or somehow, why is the president up at two in the morning? Maybe this is it. And this could be nonstop. I watched all the Sunday shows. The only Shannon Bream was the only one to bring mm -hmm. it up. Yep. And the media, think about it, in the very beginning, went to such efforts to initially suggest that this was found in some highly trafficked area, not an important part of the White House, as if any part of the White House isn't important. <laughs> um, you know, so first we had that. Then they had to admit that, oh, they were wrong. And actually, it was in a different place. And they initially reported the entire effort since this story broke has been to minimize mm -hmm. it. No one's asked the obvious and simple question, look, We've got a presidential son who has a history with this. Should we even ask that question? Right. He recorded most of it. Uh, Kimberly, looking at your uh, book, was there a sense, besides Ted Kennedy's challenge at Jimmy Carter, was there a sense that he shouldn't run for re-election among the Democratic Party? Because I was not politically aware then. And do you think that the sense that, uh, that Joe Biden shouldn't run for the party is only with the American public, not with the party. You know, it's actually really remarkable. Carter, it was interesting. People talk a lot about how he was a humble man, uh, an honorable man. I actually believe that to be true. Um, but he also fundamentally didn't think that the polls reflected anything he was doing wrong. He thought that there was a problem in the country. By the really? way, a horrible mistake. That's how we get the Malays speech in 1979. Remember where he's essentially he chiding the word. Yeah, he never uses the word, but but he's we have crisis of American confidence, and he's essentially saying you people need to buck up, and if you would just kind of get your act together, this country would work. And people understandably didn't really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. But that was a kind of attitude going forward. He he understood that there were problems. They did try to do a reset. It was way too late for that. Um, but you know, he he went in. And he thought he was going to get reelected, and um, and I think he was even a little surprised. 
um, when he got that challenge from Kennedy. I do remember, I mean, there, up until the last day, Ford started surging, almost beat him the first time. And when always people point out who can come out of nowhere, they always point out to Jimmy Carter. Yep. Nobody thought he was going to win, and he knocked on doors and d- dealt with the Iowa winter and did what he had to do. But now when you look at this president, one of the things they say, and what he tells people is, I'm the only one that can beat Trump. Mm. Where does he get that? I think it's the only thing he can tell himself. I mean, look, he did do it once, okay? But let's remember how narrow that was, how divided the country was. 10,000 Arizona, 15,000. Now, I will give Biden credit for one kernel of an idea in there, is that I think he has a better shot of beating Trump than, say, Gavin Newsom or J.D. Pritzker or some of the people that are truly on the progressive left. Uh, Well, I mean – more notably and outwardly so than Biden. Okay, I don't see that there's actually much difference given how Biden is governed, but he does have the ability to come across as old Scranton Joe. I think this would be different if they would simply go back within their party to some more reasonable yeah. non-progressive people. Then I think they'd even even better shot of beating if, Donald Trump. If there Trump. was a Joe Biden on the right who's yeah. failing this after once, there'd be like there'd be six people running against him. Yeah, this guy's failing. You you saw he can't leave the stage. You saw he gets lost in all of his copy. You see that he refuses to do press conferences. You see he refuses to do interviews. That's not the president the American people deserve. And that I'm, that I'm kind of speaking for myself there a little. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you look back at that field when he ran. Um, he was he was the guy that was to the most right on the stage a lot of the time. But it wasn't very far to the middle. Right. They realized nobody else could win if he just kept his mouth shut and stayed in his That's basement. That's right. The Biden malaise. Kimberly Strauss, congratulations. Go out and pick Thank it up. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, about 30 miles from where the serial killer was located, which is uh, not good, especially when it's my town. Uh, just Joey Buttafuoco for the longest time was the biggest embarrassment and the biggest disgrace uh, in Massapequa history. And now we got one that makes Joey Buttafuoco look good. Hard to believe. We're going to get to the latest of this because right now there's three bodies. I think it could be more. It could be double figures very quickly as they start uh, moving forward with his DNA. And I had a chance to talk to the police commissioner today. Uh, this hour we're going to be joined by Michael Goodwin. Uh, he wrote a great column comparing uh, comparing the police work on both. And Brett Baer, uh, bring us inside politics as we uh, move forward, as we move forward with 2024. Now we have six months until the first caucus, first competition, and we have just about a month into the first debate. So let's bring in Michael Goodwin right now. Uh, Michael Goodwin in the New York Post. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. I love your contrast between Christopher Ray and what he told us and between what happened on Long Island and what they revealed to us. So they have a relentless pursuit. I'm not sure. I'm sure there were some mistakes and missed opportunities. Relentless pursuit to find this serial murderer who was about to strike again when he's tried. He was going after some woman in a park, which is also about a mile from my house. And they take down this six six behemoth architect in Manhattan. It's been doing this for 25 years. And then you compare it to what Christopher Ray told us, which was nothing. Uh, and I think she's been a terrible leader of the FBI. What a disappointment. 
I agree with you, Brian. It's the, uh, as I say in the column, it's, uh, it's a bit like the good cop, bad cop, uh, only in real life. And you see the consequences of good police work versus bad police work. And the good police work, as you mentioned, is, of course, the, the Long Island, the Suffolk County police who, you know, long after the trail went cold, they found a way back in. And I, I love the, uh, the fact that in the end they're following, they have surveillance teams around the suspect, and he puts a uh, a box of pizza, a pizza box, in a public trash can in New York City, and they are following him so closely they go and get the pizza box out of the trash can and test it for DNA, and it's on there that they find a DNA. Uh, match with a with a hair found on on the uh, carpet that rolled up one of the one of the victims, and that's this is the DNA match. And then they have a thousand other things that they've picked up: his burner phones and searches and all of those kinds of things. Witnesses talking about his car, uh, so all of these things. But is it, this is real dogged police work, and it's why. Most Americans love their local police, want more of them, trust them. And then on the other hand, you have Christopher Wray and the FBI, which is now being reviled by more and more Americans and distrusted. He was confronted by a poll showing that only 37 percent of the country has a favorable view of the FBI. Imagine that, 37 percent. He brushes it off. Oh, it's a poll. You know, I mean, this is he, he sits there nonchalantly as though we're the FBI, trust us. That doesn't work anymore. That's not the age we live in. You've got to earn that trust. It, you're not you can't fly on the vapors of your history. You've got to earn it every day. He and doesn't I felt, know that. I, I, I just feel like he was kissing up to be more popular in his building. And not and just say I went out and st- I stood up for everybody. He talked about the picnic and the the people that sacrificed their lives and their time and the family. There's nothing to do with this. Everybody knows. Thirty eight thousand people doing a lot of work, a lot of places. The question is, are they off track? Are they political? Are they being run by the Department of Justice? And was it this Department of Justice? They weren't being run by William Barr. I'll tell you that. They were not weaponized to help ju- Donald Trump. And you can't hide. In Christopher Ray's case, that he's a conservative Republican appointed by a Republican, like David Souter, who ended up being the exact opposite of a conservative. Right. Christopher Ray has been the exact opposite of one to clean things up as a Republican picked by a Republican. Well, and, and you can tell that, Brian, by just listening to the questions, the tone of the questions. It's the Democrats who are protecting him. They're protecting his censorship programs that they have with big tech. That was a big issue in that hearing because of the judge's ruling in Louisiana that the, the government can't do this. It was later stayed. But they're, they're still censoring viewpoints based on, you know, harm or malign foreign interference. So if you, for example, if you criticize the American involvement in Ukraine, you are somehow supporting Russia. Uh, not that you're not that you're helping, not that you're an American concerned about your own country. If you take the point of view that that somebody can say that makes you a Putin stooge, I then agree. the FBI feels the right to censor that. 
The same with the COVID shutdowns. We, Hunter Biden, of course, all of these things. And Christopher Ray has no answer. He doesn't. What struck me most, Brian, he doesn't even try to persuade. He comes there acting like he has to be there. He's got no alternative. He doesn't really care about how many insults are flung at him or the or the FBI. He's above he's it. Just, he, he's just going to let five minutes per questioner. I'm going to endure this. I'm going to smirk. I'm going to smug. I'm going to, sh- you know, you know, kind of sh- drop my shoulders and sigh, and and then I'll be gone, and they won't see me for another six months probably. That's his attitude. He doesn't explain. He doesn't defend. He doesn't try to make a case for himself. It's just like he's above it all. And, and, how, and Michael, the thing is, we got to fix it. I've got to fix it. And he, the, one of the ways he would have fixed it, if they said, uh, hey, uh, FBI, go down to Mar-a-Lago. Now that he's in New Jersey, we're going to go over there and go through his place. He should say, whoa, 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 are you crazy? You know what we just went through? You know, I just, you know why I got this job? The last thing you want me to do is have the FBI go through his stuff and not even tell the Miami Bureau, which, by the right. way, opens up to challenge the case. So I don't want to relitigate that. I just could not be more disappointed. But the other thing I was disappointed is the Republicans. They should have been specific on the Twitter files. Call Matt Taibbi up. Matt, give me your three biggest uh, examples of uh, FBI overreaching that you saw. You know, Michael Schellenberger, Barry Weiss. And if not, just show it to me. Go. You have a huge staff. All these guys got huge staffs and these women. Huge staffs. Go through it. Get somebody who is aspiring. Go through it and just go specifically what Matt Gates did. Read the text message off. I have the big this guy. My dad is sitting next to me and he's and I'm going to hold a grudge. That should have been what was played back to him, along with the whistleblowers. The FBI is clamping down on whistleblowers of the FBI under him. Why is that okay? Exactly. Those are the sorts of things. Look, I'm a little concerned about all of these House committees, but particularly judiciary. I think that. What you're seeing there, what you're seeing in in all the committees, but really in in judiciary, it's so striking, is the Democrats taking the defense of the FBI and coming no matter what. uh, I mean, this uh, one of the Democrats actually said that the Republicans are so upset about the FBI because they want the Russians to interfere in the 2024 election. I mean, oh. that's the approach. I mean, it's disgusting. It's disgraceful. And but that's the approach the Democrats are taking. And that's why when you mentioned about Christopher Ray being a registered Republican and Ray seems to think that should inoculate him from Republican criticism. The fact is, it's the Democrats who are happy with right. Christopher Ray. I mean, you, I, I believe it's a corrupt to, to say that, that that's why if you criticize the FBI, you want the Russians to meddle in the election. That's what the Democrats say. I mean, that is extraordinary that that they are willing to put up with First Amendment violations, a weaponized system, a two-tiered system of justice. That's okay with them. I mean, that that's what Christopher Wray has to recognize, that this is how honest Americans see the 
the play unfolding before them. And he, if he wants to counteract that, he has to be aggressive in saying, no, we are not doing this. But instead, he just shrugs his shoulders like he's, you know, like a duck with the water. So I want to talk about the other the other half of your story, which was good police work. And this guy, Rex Hoorman, you used to do crime, you know, in New York, you know how relentless they can be. And the FBI did help uh, Suffolk County. I just talked to the police commissioner on Fox and Friends, and he says it's not 92 guns that were found in this guy's house, over 200 guns. They're trying to track them back. And I believe they're going to end up in double figures in bodies. And he was about to strike again in a place, right, a park right by my house, going to a woman. But I want to hear this, uh, this seemingly uh, uh, demon in real time. Here he is leaving a... Uh, leaving a voicemail message for a, a woman he met at uh, an architectural networking thing. Cut 28. Hey, this is Rex um, from the BNI group. I, I actually heard you are no longer part of the group, but I still wanted to talk to you. I had a question for you. Um, I also wanted to touch base. So if you get an opportunity, you can always try me at the office or feel free to use my cell. Uh, hope you're doing good. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks. Sounds totally normal. Here's what she said about it. Cut 29. He asked me if I knew about the Gilgo Beach murders. Um, and back then, I was like, oh, you know, he's just from that area. But now I just see it as a serial killer um, kind of just putting it in somebody's face. What a nut, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, I mean... Yeah. You know, the, the the police searching his home for trophies of the dead. Uh, I mean, that's pretty sick stuff. And now that whole uh, block has been uh, just taken over and uh, they're going to raid that house. And this is going to go down as like a Joel Rifkin. People are going to know this uh, forever. Just your thoughts about where this is heading. You think we're going to be talking about this getting much bigger? I do, Brian, because the... Um, what the number of uh, bodies I think total found there? What eleven, I believe, uh, or was it thirteen? But but I think there were eleven think women. 11. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there was a, a toddler and uh, one male. Um, so it, it, it's a bizarre thing. Right? I mean, you live on Long Island, you live closer to that. But I mean, finding all these bodies, um, you know, in, in, in such an area. I mean, it, it's. It's described as deserted, but it's not like it's the middle of the desert or something. Uh, Suffolk County is exploding with population these days. So it, it's a very weird story. I mean, there are these people among us. There always have been. There always will be kind of a Jack the Ripper mentality about these people. Uh, clearly sick. And uh, it's look, it's uh, for the media. It's you know, it's an extraordinary story to be following and, and to getting to. And, you know, for the families of the victims, I mean, finally, there's, I think for many of them, at least some sense of relief that, uh, you know, and, you know, I'm sure it'll bring back the grief for many of them, but also to know that whoever did this uh, to their, at least the leading suspect, we should say, uh, uh, will we'll never be able to do it again. And uh, I, I think the, it's hard to see how this thing ever goes to trial, the way the evidence is piling up. Yeah, uh, they say Rifkin uh, confessed and then let everybody find, go find the bodies. He's not doing that. Uh, we'll follow it. Uh, Michael Goodwin, New York Post. You can follow him at mgoodwin underscore NY Post. Thanks, Michael. 
Oh, it's a pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right, we're going to unwind 2024 in a moment. We can take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You saw Ron DeSantis over the weekend. You see he's going to be on CNN tonight. He's going to be going to NBC right after that. He's doing something I've been saying he should do because he excels at. Go in front of people that really don't like you and let them challenge your record and you because you're great at defending yourself. We've seen it. So, and I don't think he's done yet, but I just think you also got to give a tribute to Trump and his team. They seem to be playing this extremely well. Uh, They know how to lead. Uh, Let's see how it goes if they start tightening this thing up. But right now, he's only lengthening it. But I do not think Ron DeSantis is done. I'll talk about that with uh, Brett Baer and so much more. But your call's next. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You were drafted in baseball. You chose the football route. For the young boys and girls out there who are trying to figure out how to approach the sports life, do you recommend that they try and play multiple sports or put all their eggs in one basket? I think when you're younger, it's always play as many sports as possible. That's what I did. I played every sport. I found passion for a lot of Football was probably my third favorite sport growing up. That's why All the way until like probably my junior or senior year of high school. And so I just found passion, and I think that's why it shows with how I play the game. Obviously, there's certain situations if you want to focus and, and put all your, your focus into one sport, if you find that sport and you truly love it and it's your decision as a kid, then do it. But at the same time, getting those multiple sports, and maybe not being the best at a sport and you have to figure out ways to have success, I think that builds you up to it whenever you do find that one sport. Yeah. Uh, you know how to keep getting better and not being satisfied with where you're at. Patrick Mahomes was known as a great baseball player. His dad was a professional baseball player. He was in and around the Yankees and all these other professional teams. That gave him the mindset, but the athletic ability is unbelievable. As you know, he keeps getting better. Uh, now he's got two Super Bowl victories. The other major story happened yesterday. Uh, Miami announced uh, Lionel, Messi, Lionel Messi will be uh, their new forward, and I sense he'll be a starter. He is the reigning, I think he's eight-time football of the, of the year. That means best in the world, not best in a country, best in the world. He was introduced to Miami, got slowed down because Miami's skies open up once a day, maybe three times a day. So they, they packed the stadium just to see him walk out get a jersey from David Beckham and the owners, and then walk back. Here he is. Uh, here is Jorge Mas. Uh, he is the Miami owner. Cut 35. Here's the introduction. I would like to introduce to you your number 10, Inter-Miami's number 10, America's number 10, the best number 10 in the world, Lionel Andres Messi. So I think he was thrilled a little. Uh, it was just uh, funny to watch him walk out there. And I just was seeing a quote from Wayne Rooney, who was maybe one of the best forwards England ever had when he came here. Now he's coaching here uh, with the D.C. United. He goes, you're going to find the league tough because of the travel and some of the road games and hostile environments. I agree. I mean, it's not up to you to, you know, hostile environments is one thing. You're used to being vilified, especially when on the best team and you're the best player when you go on the road. But the travel is tough. They have two divisions in the MLS, and you literally are crisscrossing the country, and you're playing two, three games a week sometimes. So that'll be it. But they'll be smart about it. I don't think they'll be playing them a whole game right away. I think they'll be preserving them. I think you've got to play them a little bit because if you're going to pay $4,000 for a ticket that costs forty, I think if Messi doesn't play and he's healthy, 
I think that'll be an issue, but I don't. I think that most likely that's got to come from the player too. When we come back, I'm going to talk about 2024. I will not talk, uh, and of course, anything golf is that's on Brett Bear's mind. And I'm going to talk about a couple of things. When it comes to the money, it looks as though $72 million is a big haul for President Biden. However, the other thing is, inside those numbers, almost no grassroots support, which usually shows momentum. And number two, we don't see much of a staff set up. We don't see offices set up strategic locations in battleground states. Maybe they just are so sure that they'll beat Donald Trump and that Donald Trump's going to get the nomination. They don't need to try. Man, would that be folly. It was in the Brian Kilmeade Show. Busy Monday. So glad you're here. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You see yourself perhaps with a Senator Tim Scott? I think he's a very good guy. We did Opportunity Zones together. It's uh, never been talked about. It's one of the most successful economic development things ever done in this country. And Tim is very good. I mean, I, I could see Tim doing something with the administration, but uh, he's in right now campaigning. And I'm sure Tim and everybody else would say, I'm only interested in one but Tim's a talented guy, and uh, you have other very talented people. So the president's talking a little bit, and he was asked that question by Maria, like he's got the nomination already, but he has a reason to feel confident early, and it doesn't look, he's leaning towards not going to the debate. And to be consistent, he doesn't think Joe Biden should debate either. He said, why, why go in with a younger, smarter guy like RFK Jr.? He also said something interesting. He said, Ted Kennedy, I asked Ted Kennedy, who's the smartest guy in the Senate? And he told me, he goes, I don't like the guy, so I'm not going to tell you who it is. But I asked, who's the dumbest? And he said, it's Joe. And I said, Joe who? He said, Joe Biden is the dumbest. Now, we have no way to confirm that. Maybe Brett Baer, he's got a bigger staff. He could try to confirm that. He is host of uh, Anchor Special Report. He does everything he, uh, important. And he will, be, he will be moderating the debate on the 23rd. Brett, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Were you shocked to know that Teddy Kennedy gave that revelation? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is told by the former president. Um, yeah. Um, what do you say? We, we we can't verify it. No, we can't. And it, who knows? Um, but it's interesting to have people look back at uh, Joe Biden's Senate career and the evolution. And actually, I think what's most interesting is to talk to people who will tell you straight up that, you know, he's lost a step or three. And he, um, you know, is is different in the way he presents himself uh, as far as uh, his time in the Senate and his time now uh, as vice president and then as president. So uh, right now he says uh, the president of the United States, President Trump, said this about RFK Jr. Cut three. He's a very smart person. Yeah, I know a lot of the members of that family. And, you know, he's a very smart guy. And uh He's hit a little bit of a nerve. I think he really has. And a lot of Democrats I know want to vote for him. But again, if he's at 20 percent and if uh, Biden has a big lead, number one, Biden can't debate him because he's not capable. And number two, why would he debate him for that reason? But also, why would he debate him if he's probably got it locked up? I don't see RFK Jr. I don't see him getting the nomination under any circumstances. But a couple of things are going on. You know, he only has had President Biden only has a handful of staffers hired. I find that bizarre. 
And they say he raised $72 million overall, very few small donors. Why wouldn't he be staffed up by, by now? I think it's a great question. Um, I, clearly, the money, the number is is significant. Um, and it's more than, you know, President Obama uh, had in a going into a re-election effort, um, but the staffing is is a question, and also the schedule is a question, and his one-on-one interview acceptance is a question. Um, he has not agreed to an interview with us. We've asked, can you believe this? We've asked every week since he won the South Carolina primary. Really, and uh, not one interview in- with Brett Baer. No, and we had it locked up to do the Super Bowl interview. Uh, we assumed that that was going to happen as by tradition, um, but they decided not to do that. So I think that um, that will be interesting to watch, you know, who he's – if he's doing interviews. He, he hasn't done a lot of them. Um, obviously, they're not going to do primary debates. Um, and how many events he's going to do uh, where he takes questions, I'm not sure. Yeah, and, and what is he capable of doing? I know he could take some NATO questions international. They weren't uh, the hardest. One of the questions that he wrestled with the most is, were you sitting by your son's side when he said you were? He doesn't sound like, you know, in that situation, punctuation was perfect, didn't sound like he was altered or on drugs. Is your son a liar then? Number two, do you know who Tony Bobulinski is? He said he met you at the Beverly Hilton, and you are the big guy that was receiving money from China. Do you think that's important for people to understand no, no one's even interested in those questions, uh, which I find astounding. Yeah, it is, it is amazing. I mean, if you think about what we always look through the prism of what happens if it was the other way around, and this was, you know, the Trump administration and the Trump family, um, and with these exact set of circumstances, you know, how much interest would there be? I think there'd be a lot more. Um, and... You know, I don't think we're at the end of this. I think it's um, they're still going to really try on Capitol Hill to get to the bottom of it. Uh, but as far as media interest, it is very low. Uh, Brett, uh, Brett Baer, I guess. Brett, I want to talk about uh, this uh, guy named uh, Donald Trump that is leading the pack. Uh, this is what Susan Page said. It's oftentimes she's on your panel, Cut Nine. Mm-hmm. They haven't taken long. They haven't found a way to dent him. Uh, uh, Donald Trump has not been dented by the process so far. He's been strengthened. We've seen Mike Pence not even qualify, at least so far, for the first debate. We've seen Ron DeSantis, his once pretty formidable standing, really uh, fade in a significant way. He's now got a, uh, a little bit of a staff shakeup going. Um, so why should Donald Trump go to the debate? Why should he uh, change his tactics? And how can these other candidates confront him in a way that holds his voters but takes him down, they have not figured that out. Uh, Do you know anyone that has? Have you seen a strategy uh, yet to launch that would start to dent Trump? Not yet, no, because, um, you know, taking him on head on uh, or going into his realm of, you know, the back and forth. Remember back to 2016 when Marco Rubio tried to go it that way, and it, it really didn't work out for him at all. Um, I think that, you know, we could be a couple of more indictments here, and yet each indictment, the the, <laughs> it's the numbers have gone up. Um, so I, I don't think that, that that's the way. I, I do quibble with Susan a little bit in that Donald Trump is exceptional in that format. Um, he can definitely hold his own on a debate stage and, and command the attention. With a lot of people. 
With a lot of people who seem to do great. And he actually, you know, obviously would be the center of attention. Uh, He would be under attack, but he would be able to, I think, uh, as we've seen in the past, kind of own the stage, potentially. And I just don't know if, as we get closer to that, he's going to miss the opportunity for, you know, tens of millions of of, um, viewers watching that. Uh, he wouldn't need it if he was up exponentially, but he also, I think, relishes those those moments. Um, we'll see. You know, he's he's going to have decision. He said something similar to me that he said to Maria that he hadn't made up his mind. Um, but there would be a bunch of people on the stage talking about him uh, if he was not there. And one other thing is that um, you know each one of these events, an indictment, uh, some big thing legally, every other candidate then for the next three days is asked to to react to Donald Trump's situation. And then thereby talking about Donald Trump in a time when you know, they could be pitching their own policies, their own thing. Um, it's it's sort of like a, a vortex of focus on the former president. And Ron DeSantis is saying he's in disarray. Uh, they say he spent too much, hasn't got enough small donors, and that uh, so far Donald Trump's been targeting him big time, but he feels as though, uh, you know, they got to make some changes. So he's going to be going on another network this week. He's going into more, more hostile territory. Here's what he was asked yesterday on Media Buzz about about why he has not soared in the polls, cut 11. Because I think they know that I would beat Biden and beat him soundly. And then maybe even more importantly, they've seen what I've done with Florida, where we've beat the left on all these different issues. I mean, we've beat them on illegal immigration. We beat them on indoctrination in schools. We've done all these great things. And now Florida, even CNBC, is acknowledging we're the top economy of all 50 states. So that's what he that's what his theory is. You looked at his spin, do you think he believes that? Yeah, no, I think he believes that. Uh I do think that he spent a lot of time uh, on a couple of issues that people questioned whether that was the right move. You know, I mean, you could run on your your record in Florida, but you know, there are some questions about the 6-week abortion ban, there's some questions about all his moves against Disney, um whether they were justified or just stirring the pot to get attention in the anti-woke environment. Um and so it raised alarm bells for some people who thought maybe he was, you know, the guy from the beginning. I think he's had a slow start. It's not to say that he's done. I think some of these these articles that are writing his uh, obituary politically are, are a little premature. Um, that said, I do think that the Virginia governor, Glenn Youngkin, is probably going to get in this race. You do? You think um, so? Why? I think that he thinks that he could be the, you know, adult in the room after – you know, the Senate races in Virginia, if he manages to get it Republican uh, and you know, has success there, I think that a late ad could be something that is like a, another anti-Trump, not anti-Trump, but uh, alternative to Trump um, as a possibility. And so that's just my guess. Uh, if I had to, if I had to do my own candidate casino, I would put more money on him getting in than not. Right. And we know that uh, gambling is a big part of your life. So this does not <laughs> no. surprise me at all that you're talking casino. Uh, Brett, I think it's so fascinating that Donald Trump is going to go on Mike Tyson's podcast. 
I cannot wait to hear it. I was listening yeah. to other networks speculating, like, why would he do it? I'm like, have you been paying attention to this guy? This is what Trump does. He has nothing's below him or beneath him or above him. And Mike Tyson's a friend of his, and I just I think it's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's doing things that are reaching out to different people, people that don't pay attention to politics, people that don't really pay attention to you know, the day-to-day political news back and forth that Washington's so obsessed with. I mean, he did the Nelk Boys podcast, um, you know, that's, you know, my kids listen to. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's trying to go different venues, but he's also sitting down for interviews. And you have to give him, give him credit. He answers the questions. I know. And, you know, talking to that guy, he said he, said he was going to sit down with you, and he did. Uh, thanks so much. Hey, Brett. Uh, big week. Is there anything you want to promo? Well, listen, I just got back from the American Century Tournament in uh, Lake Tahoe. Had a great first day. If I could put three days together, we're going to win that tournament sometime. But Steph Curry was amazing. Had a hole-in-one. I was in the group ahead of him when he had the hole-in-one. And um, and it was really fun. He made an eagle putt on the last hole. Uh, to win the tournament over Marty Fish, and uh, it was awesome. So, in fact, that's, that's in fact a, Brad, that's, here, here's how it sounded. Actually, Allison was way ahead of you. Listen. Play. Boy, this is right at it if it gets there. How about that? And I believe it went in. You see him sprint up the fairway, right? Yeah, yeah. He ran the whole, uh, whatever, 135 yards. And I was on the next tee box, and this roar goes on the hole behind us. And we thought, oh, he must have stuck it. And then the roar continued as he ran down to the flag, and we knew it was a hole-in-one. So uh, it's a great tournament. It's a lot of fun. And eventually I'll put three days together. And, and, we'll carry, and you'll let me break the story the next day, right? You'll, have, 100%. you'll give me the first interview? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's all I care about. Brett, thanks so much, man. Talk to you later. See you, man. Bye. All right, 1-866-408-7669. We'll finish up this hour in a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brett Bear didn't win, but if uh, I eventually believe that he will be the winner one day, like you do. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to know that we have been fighting to make it clear that Israel is a racist state, that the Palestinian people deserve self-determination and autonomy, that the dream that the dream of a two-state solution is slipping away from us, that it is not that it does not even feel possible. So she's unbelievable. I mean, I think she's Palestinian. Am I right? I mean, she might be Palestinian. She just hates Israel. It's so clear. But the backlash was so uh, was so explosive. She had to walk back and say she misspoke. There's no way she misspoke. So here's what she said on her Israeli comments. I do not believe this idea of Israel is racist. I do, however, believe Netanyahu, extreme right, right-wing government, has engaged in discriminatory and racist policies, and that there are extreme racists driving that policy within the leadership of the current government. Really? So he's the longest-serving uh, uh, prime minister ever. And it's just him is the problem? 
House and Democratic leadership statement on U.S. and Israel relationship, a little bit different. Israel is not a racist state. As House Dem leaders, we strongly support Israel's right to exist as a homeland for the Jewish people. Why not just condemn her statement? Look, uh, the Palestinians have a great opportunity. They don't take advantage of it. They live Arab community lives great in Israel. They're not discriminated against the best possible way. They thrive there economically. It is Israel is not the problem in the Middle East. That shows the rejiggering of Middle East focus. The Abraham Accords had focus on Iran. And since the president has alienated Saudi Arabia to the degree he did, he has put them into China's lap, and they actually have a detente between Iran and Saudi Arabia, putting new emphasis on the Palestinian issue, underlined by this growing sentiment within the Democratic Party, anti-Israel sentiment. And I just go back to how the heck could the American Jewish community continue to support the Democratic Party? When predominantly they have, Israel has 45% approval rating. But yet, if you put in the Republican Party, they're between 60 and 70%, maybe even 80% approval rating. How could that be? How could that be the case? Uh, meanwhile, let's talk about what President uh, Trump said yesterday. He sat down with Maria Bartiroma, talked about the state of the race, talked about maybe Tim Scott getting in, the respect he has for RFK Jr. But what about the criticism coming at him about his not breaking the swamp and not building all of the wall? Cut for I had the safest border in the history of our country. I built massive miles of wall and was going to put up another 200 miles. Everything was built. They just had to erect it. Would have taken three weeks, far beyond my statement about building a wall. I was way over. I mean, what we did was incredible. But between the wall and Mexico, when you say Mexico, I got Mexico. You know what? I got them to pay for 28,000 soldiers on our border. You know, people said, well, Mexico. Well, Mexico did pay. They gave me free of charge 28,000 soldiers. In a second term, will you shut down the border? Yeah, I will close up the border except that people come in legally. Because we need people to come in. We want people to come in. But we don't want people coming in from mental institutions and from uh, jails. Why has they it come been so from... difficult to get an immigration policy agreed upon? Uh, you have different viewpoints. You have different everything. But I didn't care about immigration policy. I didn't want anyone to come in unless they came in legally. But he also talked about chain migration and the, the folly with that. So he was on it. He thought he had to do a piecemeal because he did not have the majority of people on the same page. This is where I feel differently than most. I don't think either party wants this issue. They keep saying both parties want to run on this issue. Nobody wants to run on this issue anymore. It's poisonous. Fareed Sakaria, I didn't see the content of it, but they did a, they did a documentary on the need to reinforce our border and the dangers of leaving it open. So it's getting too big to even be political. It's too bad to say who gains. We all lose. We don't reinforce the border. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 408 7669 We have a big hour. Bill Hemmer will join me for the last half hour from America's Newsroom, fresh off there. And Mikhail Zigar is standing by, a Russian journalist, author of War and Punishment, 
Uh, we want to find out what's latest from that war, what's going on, how tough it's to be a Russian journalist these days. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Because you have almost a perfect storm here. You had COVID sent people home to watch uh, streaming and television and kill theaters. You've had the results of huge investments in streaming, which have produced all these losses for all these companies who are now kind of retrenching. Hollywood on strike. If launching the woke movement didn't teach them and the pandemic pause didn't scare them, if the actor strike continues and is not settled quickly, this could kill the higher, the multi-billion dollar industry. No joke. Number two. I had a good relationship, very good with both of them. I would tell Zelensky, no more. You got to make a deal. I would tell Putin, if you don't make a deal, we're going to give him a lot. We're going to give him more than they ever got if we have to. I will have the deal done in one day. There you go. Exaggerate in one day. Uh, don't see how that would get done. Bridge blows up in Crimea. Russia firing generals while their, uh, while their economy just goes to rubble and the ruble hits all-time lows. It's time to stand with Ukraine, not against in Ukraine, but Biden's inability to explain why we're there is uh, fueling the distrust and doubt among Republicans. Number one. There was a little bit of a shake buck in the campaign. Anytime that happens, which means they're letting go of up to 10 people in a single campaign, there's a little bit of a freak out. People are wondering what's going on. DeSantis's poll numbers have really not gone up nationally or locally. Uh, there you go. Where uh, we go. Reset, reorganize, no panic. That's the message from the DeSantis camp as they took, as uh, they look to get momentum. They have had, had not had since Election Day. Oh, uh, Iowa is six months away. The debate is one month away. We'll see if they could begin to change things around this week. Uh, but first things first, if you want to know what's happening in the war, we wake up this morning to find out that Crimea bridge, bridge was blown up. Sadly, the railroad tracks are still there, but drones were able to blow up the bridge that Vladimir Putin takes so much pride in. And we'll see how long they can withstand all this tumult in their midst and without the Wagner Group leading the charge Along the way. And with me right now is uh, Mikhail Zigar, a Russian journalist, author of War and Punishment. Mikhail, uh, welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, No problem. How hard is it to be a Russian journalist these days? Mm, You know, it's really hard to be uh, independent, anti-Putin Russian journalist, because that would mean that uh, uh, you must live outside of Russia, because it's just impossible to stay in the country and uh, um, to do a job. Right now, especially, what is happening inside Russia? Um, you know, actually, the, the latest Prigozhin's mutiny uh, was a huge blow towards President Putin. But still, you know, the situation is more or less stable. I mean that um, it's obvious that for, for a year or two, um, he will remain a president of Russia. Although uh, the elites are already trying to figure it out and uh, are trying to create a strategy of uh, a Russia after Putin. Wow, a Russia after Putin. He's not ready for that, is he? Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. Uh, you know, he has been ruling uh, for 22 years. And, um, yeah, for, for many years that was a taboo not to discuss but even to think uh, what can happen uh, after he's gone. But now, obviously, 
all the uh, all the members of inner circle, all the oligarchs, all the businessmen uh, have to think of uh, possible scenarios for for um, his departure. But this has to be the biggest mistake any Russian has made in quite some time. Uh, the go into a war he didn't need to do, invade a country that was more than ready for him. He's destroying the infrastructure while exposing his own people with over 200,000 ca- ca- uh, casualties, at least 50,000 dead. And now his uh, economy is going backwards. The rubles hit new death. It's hard to imagine a worst case scenario. Uh, it's true, but at the same time, unfortunately, I think that West didn't use all the opportunities to uh, to use his weakness. Because a um, um, year and a half ago, when the war was just um, has just started, um, most of Russian population were horrified, and everyone w- were opposing this war. And uh, for for most people, especially for the middle class, for the business elites, it was it was obvious that uh, the war. Is his what was his terrible mistake, but at the same time, what um, the West uh, started um, imposing sanctions not only against the oligarchs, not only against uh, Putin's elites, but uh, on every Russian, uh, on the representatives of middle class, on uh, most people who were trying to flee Russia and to uh, fight against the the regime outside. against those people who were willing to support Ukraine. So, unfortunately, um, many Russians who stayed in the country, or who had to stay because their bank accounts were blocked um, in the West. Um, so, Russian society seemed seem to be um, much more unified than it was uh, a year and a half ago when uh, majority of, uh, of Russians were against the war. So, let me ask you, did they ever buy that there were Nazis in Ukraine? No, I'm sure that the majority of Russian population um, didn't buy it any time, because uh, Russian propaganda is not is, is very different from uh, it used to be during the Cold War. During the Soviet period, the the key idea was that we are better and uh, the Americans are bad. But now the the new strategy is completely different. Uh, Russian propaganda says that they are bad and we are the same. If they invaded Iraq, we can invade uh, Ukraine. So they, they are not trying to prove that they are innocent. They are not trying to, to pretend that the war is justified. No, they are saying that, that, that that's brutal aggression. But they, uh, they are trying to prove that they, they have the right to do it. So if we just gave Ukraine enough to defend themselves right away... This could be a different story, and we're still being slow about it. I want you to hear what a Republican congressman, chairman of the Armed Services, said yesterday, Michael McCall, Cut 22. It was already appropriated in the supplemental uh, last year, you know, the $90 billion. I mean, it's a drawdown authority. We have attackants. So I have great sources on the ground, and they're telling me right, right now, because of the mines and the fortifications, uh, that what they need, the cluster munitions are going to help with, you know, killing Russians in the field. However, they need the longer-range artillery to hit the depots, the energy, the, the logistical supply lines. They don't have that, and they don't have air cover. And that's that's yeah. really important here because the F-16s were held back so long mm-hmm. by the administration and the pilot training that they don't have what they need to win in this counteroffensive, and it's really sad. 
So your thoughts about what the critics are saying about President Biden? Um, you know, I, I do think uh, that uh, Ukraine needs American support. And, uh, if, and the, all, the only thing uh, Ukrainians are afraid of is that probably due to the uh, political situation in America next year, uh, the, the support to Ukraine would, uh, would fade away. That's the only worst-case scenario. So, yes, uh, uh, there, there should be more help. Uh, towards you, Ukraine, uh, and not less. Uh, yes, and where do you where do you able to locate? Are you able to function in Russia? No, definitely not. I, I left Russia on February last year, so I'm uh, now located in Berlin. How do you find out the real story? Do you go on to Telegram? Uh, you know, I have a lot of sources. Uh, I have a lot a lot of. Um, uh, bureaucrats from uh, from uh, Kremlin elite, uh, a lot of sources uh, among Russian business. Um, I've, I've written several books communicating to, to all those sources, and uh, like uh, my, my recent book is called War and Punishment. And while writing it, I found out that for many uh, high-ranking Russian politicians, it's very important uh, to speak out uh, secretly, discreetly, but still they they. Um, willingly uh, talk to independent journalists uh, in exile because they, they want to prove at least to themselves that they are decent uh, people. They are not accomplices to the regime. So it's, it's still possible to get a lot of information from, from Russia. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, we'll try to get the, the true story. Uh, it's right now, if you look at the economy, energy's off 36 uh, percent. They say that uh, the economy is actually growing and not growing at all. Uh, they say that the pressure is mounting. Are people trying to get out of the country still? Uh, you know, we had a uh, million and a half um, people uh, left last year. So actually, that's a majority of Russian middle class. So mo- most people who uh, who didn't leave uh, last year uh, are probably staying because, mm, yeah, m- most, but at the same time, uh, there were a lot of businessmen who were very active uh, in Europe, um, and some of them had to return back to Russia. And uh, that's why the, the inevitable catastrophe that was predicted last year in the beginning of the war uh, did not happen immediately because a lot of money were taken out of uh, um, account, bank accounts of Russian businessmen and were brought back to Russia. So, unfortunately, uh, the West um, has organized some kind of investment boom in Russia last year. Um, that, that was a mistake, but still, um, uh, R- Russian economy is, is bad, in, in a very bad shape, but not that bad as it was expected in yeah. the beginning of the war. Right. So the ruble right now, they say, is in free fall. It added to Russia's troubles. The country's uh, currency slumped to a 15-month low at 94.48 against the U.S. dollar, triggered by a capital fight, shrinking tax revenues, and declining central bank services. So the fact that the Russians have lost as customers Western Europe with Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, that's pretty substantial. Or is India making up for it? Is China making up for it? Oh, you know, uh, I wouldn't be that optimistic. I think that uh, um, a lot of countries are still buying uh, Russian oil and gas via third parties, uh, obviously via Turkey, via 
Kazakhstan, via um, um, Egypt, Algeria. So um, that, that, that oil embargo that, um, that was a threat to, to Putin and that, that was discussed last year actually did happen because a, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, countries which, which are considered to be the allies um, of the United States mm, behave in a very mm, double-standard uh, way. Understood. Uh, like who? India? Like, yeah, yeah India, Turkey, um, many, di- many Arab countries. Yeah, very, they're propping them uh, up. Ma- many African countries. Uh, so Mikhail Zygar is our guest. He's a Russian journalist, author of a brand-new book, War and Punishment. My, la- my last question to you is that uh, that bridge that they blew up uh, or damaged last night, that means a lot to Vladimir Putin. He was proud of taking Crimea. He was proud of that bridge, right? Yeah, it was very symbolic. So that was a big and, deal that got hit. And I guess my you know, my second to last question: How do you how long do you expect him to last? Um, you know, we have already seen that uh, the the Gorgian mutiny, the mutiny of Wagner Group, has um, damaged his. Uh, uh, image in Russia a lot, and aco- according to my sources uh, in Moscow, um, the, the inner circle, the, the top bureaucracy is not that unified as it used to be. So, uh, so probably um, a year or a year and a half, that's, that's the time frame uh, I, I usually hear from, from my sources, um, and we must remember that the next year is the year of the presidential uh, election in Russia. So uh, that would be a huge challenge, challenge for him, not as a uh, he's not going to be challenged by any politician, but the, the elites uh, are not so sure that they want him uh, to stay. So th- that will be uh, the most uh, dangerous challenge. To him. Yeah, good luck. See if he has a just election. He has a way of getting his own way, uh, poisoning his enemies and making sure that he wins. So uh, very important. Mikhail Zagar, thanks so much. Thank you. 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back, take your calls. Bill Hemmer at the bottom of the hour. I want to talk about 2024. And we got those Gilgo Beach murders. They look like they got a guy. It looked like the numbers could grow. I talked to the police commissioner this morning. They reconstituted the Gilgo Beach cold case, put together some DNA, and found a guy in the middle of a suburban community on Long Island. Amazing. A guy somewhat successful as an architect, uh, sadly a killer. Uh, an evil a devil incarnate. Amazing story. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We are speaking on behalf of workers all across the nation and around the world. The eyes of workers are upon us. What is decided in this strike and this negotiation is going to impact everybody and if we don't take control of this situation from these greedy megalomaniacs we are all going to be in threat of losing our livelihoods. So Fran Drescher talking about uh, the actor strike that's going on and okay look everyone's got a point when it comes to a strike I understand you have a point of view but it's an 8 to 10 billion dollar industry you have telling you're telling people again who have been staying away from the theaters we're stopping so if you stop creating now and stop shooting now, that means you have nothing in the fall. That means you have nothing on Christmas. So you got to get back to work. So they want the media moguls to take a pay cut, everybody else take a pay cut. 
But meanwhile, they launched this whole woke philosophy, which alienated a lot of people from the movies. They have streaming, which is a tremendous opportunity, but it's cut rate, I guess, for actors. They're worried about AI. I understand that. But also, and you get your point of view, you stay ahead of the curve, but don't kill your industry. That is key. Here's Barry Diller, one of the most successful business movie and TV executives ever. Cut 30. Well, the problem with this, look, all strikes get settled. Uh, the issue for this one is is when, because you have almost a perfect storm here, which is you had uh, COVID, which sent people home to watch uh, streaming and television and killed theaters. Uh, you, you, you've had the results of huge investments in streaming, which have produced all these losses for all these companies who are now kind of retrenching. Uh, so at this moment, this kind of perfect storm it's okay if it gets settled in the next month, but I'll posit what happens if it doesn't. And there doesn't seem to be enough trust and energy to get it settled soon. It's amazing. And people should realize, too, there's just got to be a business person amongst the creative people to say, let me just explain to you, this is the best we can get, so handle it. Uh, we AI, you know, you don't want people just knocking off your voice and using it and not paying you. And there's certain things you should look for. Retain some great attorneys, but try to work in the process. Why don't both sides understand that there, that the whole industry is at stake? Because we can get used, we've proven, we can get used to anything without anything at any time. It's hard enough getting people to theaters now to watch Oppenheimer or Freedom Road. You go tell people the theaters are shut down again, they're gone for good. that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show hey this is rex um, from the bni group I, I actually heard you are no longer part of the group but i still wanted to talk to you i had a question for you um and also wanted to touch base so if you get an opportunity you can always try me at the office or feel free to use my cell uh, hope you're doing good hope to talk to you soon thanks so Dominique Vidal put that on TikTok because he got a voicemail from Rex Hoorman. They, they were in a mixer or networking event for architects, and she had dropped out, and he was felt intrigued uh-huh. enough to get her number and call her. And this is what she said about the, interacting with now we know of the notorious Gilgo uh, suspect. He has been linked to three murders, most likely four shortly, and it could be in double figures. They pulled 200 guns not 100, not 92, yeah. over 200 guns out. Here's what Dominique said, cut 29. He asked me if I knew about the Gilgo Beach murders. Um, and back then, I was like, oh, you know, he's just from that area. But now I just see it as a serial killer um, kind of just putting it in somebody's face. So that's her. That's her interaction. <laughs> a lot of people are going to be saying this. He was my neighbor. I don't know how many people are going to say he was my friend, but they had to watch him for a while. Yeah. And the one thing that the police commissioner said, Bill Hammer, did I properly introduce you? For no, you didn't, but that's okay. But he, Bill, he's, he's five ten and a half, 180 pounds. 
out of Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> that <laughs> that, was from, you cue that up from Saturday night. Anyway, you. good to be with you, and uh, good morning to you, sir. Yes, and just to finish up this, because we'll talk about that, is that uh, so that was a so it was a mixture. He put it, he put, called her back. Can I tell you what's Thank crazy about, didn't get back about that audio that you played there? She says that he said to her, have you followed this serial murder case? And chances are, Brian, based on his Google searches, what the investigators have told us so far, he may have talked about these cases to a lot of people. We may find that out to be the case yeah. in the end. But what he told her is that, well, um, there could be a serial killer in my town, in my neighborhood. I think that's very – that's getting pretty specific. Would you not Crazy. agree? It is. It's, it's almost as if, you know, like – an arsonist sets a fire, comes back to watch the fire burn. And it, I, I, th- I think there's a little bit of this voyeurism going on, if indeed it's proven in a court of law, that he was doing these Google searches and looking for images of his victims, images of, his, of the family members of the victims. Yep. And then perhaps contacting well, he was at, with least, a burner phone. at least a couple of them. Well, with a burner phone. And evidently, I see, I, I thought the burner phones were untraceable, but evidently they did not. Right. So the, just like your WhatsApp, just like your Signal app. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I got a WhatsApp for security. By the way, you. the lesson in all this is that nothing disappears and nothing vanishes. So a, a lot of people, I, I think it's good police work, especially when they reinvigorated the case. But critics say uh, Hoorman, who's huge, uh, could have been found a lot earlier because one of these pimps said the guy had an avalanche, a rare edition avalanche, mm. and he was a big mountain of so, a man. With so a- sorry. That's important. The pimp reported his vehicle? Yes. Avalanche. So we had the DA on today, and I said, what gave you the tip on the avalanche? And he said it was one of the victims. Right. It so wasn't. It was from, a, from, from yeah. early when the case was first being discovered. So here he goes. He goes, Hooman, uh, who stands six foot six. In March of 2020, 12 years after the witness testimony from the pimp of victim Amber Costello. So the pimp spoke about Amber Costello, urging police to look into a suspect he describes as the size of a mountain and mm-hmm. look like an ogre. He said, once we got uh, Suffolk County Police Rodney Harrison, who I talked to today on television, uh, told the New York Daily News, once we got that car connected, uh, the investigation got legs. But it left many wondering why it took them so long to track down Hewerman in the rare vehicle shows up outside his home in Massapequa Park, Long Island, on a Google view, a Google Street view dating back to 2007. Can I stop you there? When did the pimp tell the police about the car description? I assume it's two, um, 2010. 2010, 13 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yep. Maybe because it was a... a <clears throat> Maybe because it was a pimp. People. No, no, no. That's not the, that's that's not what I was driving at. But if you've got these murders and you've got all these bodies that are showing up on the same beach within a quarter or a half mile of each other, and, and one of the pimps says, "Check out this vehicle," and the vehicle is very distinct, and I think they later tracked it down in another state, and the avalanche had a certain hood ornament on it or something that was very distinct, and that was one of the tips that tied him to that house in right. Massapequa Park. Am I making sense? Yes, you are. Right, here's, what, here, here's what baffled me, and the DA cleared it up today. I don't believe that up until today that they had told us that some of these victims were dismembered. Were they? You live oh. in that town. 
Oh, did yeah. you, did you ever did know, that? know that? Okay, so they re- there's a town called, I know you know this, Manorville. And remnants of certain individuals were found in Manorville, New York, which is the far eastern end of Long Island. And other remnants of the same individual were found on this beach where you grew up. That's a stretch of almost 50 miles. And today the DA said, yes, some of these victims had been dismembered. I had not heard that until today. Wow. And by the way, uh, the assistant to the commissioner is from Matterville. So I asked her where she's from. I asked the commissioner's from. He's from Baldwin. I'm from Massapequa. And then this, the, the commissioner's spokesperson was from Manorville. So it's kind of weird. Uh, and Nassau County. Why is that weird? Uh, I just thought it was odd that a parts were found in Manorville and just happened to be in oh, gotcha. okay. So then, But also it was kind of weird. Massapequa is Nassau County. But it's Suffolk County's case because the bodies were found in Suffolk. Because it's right on the right. county line. And they yeah. said that they realized they realized they had to get him with a whole group of people. They had to get the FBI involved. Well, let, let me ask you arrested. this. I mean, you're sick, sick. You've grown up with this, right? You've got kids, yep. right? They, they, I mean, I, I find that when you have treacherous, violent, murderous stories and you grow up with them with a kid, they haunt you. Um, and I, I imagine your kids have probably thought about this. Right. You know do, what? Do, do you believe, as a guy who's followed this case for a long time, that they did a good and fair job in trying to solve this case? Oh, sorry, mm-hmm. these cases. Well, I'll tell you what. Dr. Michael Bodden was on when these cases first started turning up, and the body started to be coming out there, and it was in these thick areas of the of the beach, which is it's overgrown, though humans go there. And he said to me, yeah, we inv- he was befuddled by it. He was intrigued by it. So he wasn't saying this is so easy. Uh-huh. He was saying we thought for a while the Gilgo murders were going to be an everyday thing, you know, like uh, John Bene Ramsey. Yeah. And he we kind of petered out with it. So I'd be very interested yeah. in what Dr. Michael Bodden says. I'm not really a big murder mystery guy, so I can't yeah. compare it to anything. I'll follow the case for a while. And I'll make an opinion in a year or two after they get to the bottom of it. But the fact is his voice is on voicemails to the victims, and they describe a guy with this creepy voice with a New York accent calling the family afterwards. That That's kind of crazy. Uh, with a burner phone, uh, this is the family of Melissa Bartholomew. So, so, sorry, but you just played a clip of him on audio tape, yes. right? He's six foot six, 275 pounds. They must have had this clip for a long time. I, well, I don't know. She put it up on TikTok. And this, no, this clip was not from a murdered family. It's just some someone they no, interact I, with professionally. Gotcha, gotcha. So, ah, ten four yeah. distinction made there. But this road along this beach, uh, call it Ocean Road, call it whatever you want. It Ocean runs, Parkway. It, Ocean Park. It runs for miles, right? And there's huge dunes sometimes on both sides of the road. Correct. Huge. And people go there and they camp in the summertime and they hang out for weekends. And you'll or, see some houses or, tucked away yeah, or some weeks at a time. So it, it it's. It's what I would consider to be out of the way for New York's Long Island. New York City's Long Island, but for Long Islanders, it's a common place. I mean, it's one of the most popular beaches in the country. But you could get... Um, but now where do you go? That's but, a sorry, private but beach. Yeah, I guess I'm arguing that you can get a lot of privacy along this parkway. Yes. Yeah. But if you pull over, that's odd. If you pull over, you're stuck. So that's what there's only a little bit of grass uh-huh. and there's vines. So if gotcha. you pull over, you better be a cop. They're going to come over, hit you quick, and they're going to find out what the problem is. You know, they're going to think yeah. you're up to something. But what happens is you have the big, big beaches, Jones Beach, 
Okay, got it. Uh, so Jones Beach, anybody can go, right? There's people from the city can go. But then when you go further down, further east, they get to be private beaches. You have to produce uh, Town of Oyster Bay, yeah. uh, your registration. You need a certificate yeah, you on your car. Yeah, you let know. alone a... So you, you don't but just this roll killer, into... this killer would have had all those Absolutely. beach passes. Yeah, he would have had them. Absolutely. All you do is apply for them. Yeah. Uh, they don't ask you, are you a killer? Do you think you'll ever, ever dismember Correct. a prostitute's right. body? Yes. He would have probably answered yes. So, but we don't know. But they said the FBI had to come in on him. They were concerned this guy is so huge. We better bring a lot of guys. Do you see how many guys surrounded him? Mm -hmm. So right now they said that Joel Rifkin confessed right away and said, I got a lot more bodies. He was proud of it. This guy has not done that. Mm -hmm. So it could be much more difficult. A couple other things. This um, is in a community where the houses are about on 60 by 100 or 40 by 100. There's a sidewalk in front of these whole areas. Feet? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so these are, these are lots, small lots. You're kind of attached to everyone next mm-hmm. to you. So everyone is total middle-class America. In Massapequa In Massapequa. Very, very nice area, yes. great schools. Yeah. But this is not one of those areas where, well, that guy down the road, I never saw him. This, you see yeah. everybody in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. The driveway's next to the driveway, next to the driveway, next to the driveway. So I think we're going to be getting anecdotal stories coming out. And also, i got to tell you this. There's a park right down there uh, called Brady Park. And Brady Park just had a woman on a bicycle said that this guy describing him, she saw the picture, it was absolutely him. He was talking to her two weeks ago. And this was written up in the New York Post. Uh-huh. So he was about to move again. He's like, oh, you're a good-looking woman. You know, what's, what could tell uh-huh. me about yourself? First he asked for the time. Then he asked him again, can I see it? Next thing you know, he goes, can I see your phone? You have a boyfriend? Can I see it? And he, she got freaked out, and she went as fast as she can. She called to have her family pick her up. And then two weeks later, ends up being this six foot six guy, wow. the same guy. That's so he was about to attack again. Yeah, he's fifty nine years old. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and did also, your kids have any questions for you over the weekend? Uh, no, because you know my kids are a little older. I go twenty, twenty two, twenty six. Yeah, but they're ten years old when all this stuff is going I down. Know. Yeah, I should I should have thought that. We're just going 100 miles an hour. I should have stopped and said, we're just going. No, no, the no, first. I'm not saying you're a bad dad. I that's, was what just I'm, curious, that's what I'm getting you know. from the question. I mean, I grew up in Ohio, and the Amityville horror story freaked me out. You know, so that is the next time next aw- to me. I am aware. That's why I bring it up. So you're still freaked out. Yeah. So I would say this. We, the only thing we thought of is this. It took us forever to lose the Joey Buttafuoco story, the biggest embarrassment to Massabequa. And... The Baldwins are in the move. You know, oh, wow. Alec Baldwin just killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know uh, are born on the 4th of July from Massapequa. Ron Kovic, played yeah. by Tom Cruise. Yeah, good. That was kind of a good story. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Joe, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's kind of successful comedian. Uh-huh. I like to focus on that. But now, forever, if you bring up Massapequa <laughs> in Washington State in the middle of uh, the woods, they're going to yeah. go, oh, well, I, it's you'll a, go killer. It's a lovely community. And you've got a lot of good and a little bit of bad. I brought Dana there. Dana seemed yeah. to really like it. She uh. she thought it was. I don't know if she's going to change her opinion now. Wow. So so you did you did the second ever in North America, um, co-host quiz. How? Oh, sorry, we changed topics here. Yes. Okay, so you do a show on Saturday nights. It airs at eight o'clock Eastern time and repeats at eleven. It's called One Nation. One Nation, right? And, and you've been kind enough to tell me on the past. You came up with a new segment idea. I would say wait. And the segment idea is to take two co-anchors yes. from Fox and see how much they know about each other. Yes. How do you think Dana and I did this past Unbelievable. Weekend? Come on. I, I thought it was really good. Really? We, missed, I, a, we missed a bunch. But you were close. 
Oh. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we showed you were in the game and you thought about it. Uh-huh. I got to give uh, our group – we came up with good questions. Anyway, I agree with right? you. Yeah. I think the whole thing is like, how tall is she? We don't want that. We want something <laughs> that makes you think, also not to embarrass you. Right. So, obviously, we would have – we asked the dog question knowing – Vishes uh, Vishlas. Correct. Two, and you got two of three. Correct. Which, which did not go over well, by the way. But, but you only missed one. I, I agree. I mean, you and I would, would land there, right. but not so much with, 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 Dana. with Dana Marie. But um, the Baghdad question about what hit her. That was a great one. I thought it was the cover of the microphone, but I couldn't think of it, and it wasn't. It was a microphone stand from across the room because she drew me a diagram the next morning. Here's what happened. This is where I was sitting. This is where Bush was. This is where the shooter was. This is where the where the um, uh, Secret Service were. And right. She's, so, not, so famously, not, now I understand it. The press. But secretary. here's the offensive part of all of this. You know who do I want to? Who do I learn the most from? Who do I want to get a beer with? Oh yeah, you, you always want to get a beer with Hemmer. So the question was, what anchor do you work with? Knowing, knowing that she co-hosts the uh-huh. five two, who do you who learn the most from? Who do you want to get a beer with? And yeah. you got it right, didn't you? I I nailed it. Gutfeld, it's a little, and then it's you a have li- a beer with you. It's a little like who do you learn the most from? It's a little slightly on the offensive side. I, I would be offended if I were uh-huh. you. I would be. I, I would not be thank surprised. Thank you for some... finally seeing one side of me. Yes. That. Right, finally. I could see you're very sensitive, much more insecure than I thought. Right? And but I could see there'd be tension on the I saw tension on the set today. Today? Without this up just doing our show. You saw it too, Allison, didn't you? Which time? On the show today? Not not for a minute okay. was there tension out there. Not for a second. Over the quiz? What you should do is broadcast what happens during the commercial breaks. <laughs> that that would be pure entertainment. And America would watch. We'll find out what that means in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back. Uh, I know you guys did this, and you did it with Clay Travis, uh, Bill, uh, the Messi signing with Inter Miami. I noticed non-soccer fans and players are commenting on this. You got such a perspective on sports. You said FC Cincinnati. It's been a huge hit in the MLS. Yeah. yeah. Uh, FC Cincinnati is their MLS team back home in the Queen City, and they've exploded. Um, I think this is their fourth season. It might be their third. I can't remember exactly. Maybe it's five. John Hawks brought them there, and then they got rid of them. Yeah. Um, they built a, a, an amazing stadium. Most of the games are sold out. It's mostly younger people, which is exactly their, their target audience. Uh, they're number one in the league after going through a couple really tough years. And I think this messy move, um, wherever Miami goes now, they're going to sell out. And in Atlanta, and they are one of the worst teams in the league, right? <laughs> and but but it's not going to matter because people are going to soccer fans are going to want to see Messi play. Agreed? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, so Atlanta's getting how many people in the Mercedes Benz Dome down there? Sixty thousand. Yeah, and Seattle's doing sixty thousand. Portland. I'm, some of these markets have exploded already, and some of the smaller markets have done very well also. Yeah. Cincinnati's one of them. Kansas City is the another. Red Bulls have not in Harrison, New Jersey. Yeah, they I average mean, like eight thousand. Why is that? Is that because of the location? Comp- it, why? A location in competition. Harrison, New Jersey is not easy to get to. 
you got to hop on a path mm. train, got to go downtown to go to path train. If you want to drive there, uh, your kid's on the team, you'll, you'll deal with right. from Long Island. Harrison, you know. New Jersey is west of the city, is that right? Yes. Is that about right? Yes. Okay, got it. Uh, anyway, big move for MLS, and we'll see how it goes, but I think it's going to be huge. I just wish they didn't do an Apple TV deal. I want to see them in regional markets, yes. on MSG, on local. I probably wouldn't watch a frame of it, Brian. I'm going to watch every frame of you tomorrow, 9 to 11, with thank, Dana. Thank you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.